Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm John McGuire, a professor in the School of Media and Strategic Communications. Our guest today is Brett McMurphy, a graduate of Oklahoma State and award-winning sports journalist. McMurphy is here on campus presenting the 32nd Paul Miller Lecture, lecture series named for the OSU graduate and former head of the Gannett newspaper chain and Associated Press president. Brett McMurphy has worked for a number of newspapers and multimedia companies from the Tulsa Tribune to ESPN, from AOL FanHouse to CBSSports.com. McMurphy's beat has primarily focused on college football in recent years. One of his most important stories in 2018, published first on Facebook, reported on domestic abuse allegations against Ohio State assistant football coach Zach Smith. The controversy raised questions about Buckeyes head coach Urban Meyer and his knowledge of the allegations. Meyer eventually announced his retirement at the end of the 2018 season. For his consistent journalistic excellence, McMurphy has been honored by the Football Writers Association of America on 10 different occasions. I'm pleased Brett is able to join us today, and welcome back to Stillwater. Thank you. Enjoying it. Let's start by talking about this Ohio State story. And as I mentioned, you broke this on Facebook on August 1st of last year. Can you tell us why it was on Facebook? Well, I was at ESPN for four and a half years, and then in April of 2017, I was part of the mass layoffs at ESPN. And I had a three-year contract. I was in my second three-year contract with ESPN. And basically what it was when you were laid off, ESPN was still responsible for paying you the remainder of your contract. So I had 15 months left. As long as you didn't work for a third party, you would get paid every two weeks. You just wouldn't work. You couldn't work. However, if, we, if you had a Twitter account or a Facebook account before you were laid off and had used those per, for your own personal use, you were then allowed to continue to do whatever you want. They can't keep you from tweeting or putting stuff on your own Facebook page. So basically, I had a decision to make. I had 15 months left and I could either not do anything for 15 months and then try to get a job in 15 months and say, hey, remember me? Can you give me a job? And I didn't think the, that was very realistic. Or I could try to continue to report news and break news and post it on Twitter or Facebook. And so I was able to do that with a number of stories, some coaching um, changes, actually Mike Gundy turning down Tennessee, Joe Moorhead going to, to Mississippi State, Scott Frost going to Nebraska, uh, I b broke all those stories when I was laid off out of work. And then the summer of 2018, I had received a tip that there may be some domestic violence issues in Zach Smith's background and followed up on that and found out that, yes, there were some domestic violence um, history concerning Zach Smith in, at not only Florida, but at Ohio State, and it had never been reported again my only outlet to report this was on Facebook, so I reported it on Facebook. On Monday at Big Ten Media Day, Ohio State initially said that this was a personnel matter, they had no comment. I then found out about another uh, domestic violence incident with Zach Smith from 2015. I reported that, updated my story about 5 p.m. Monday evening. An hour later, Zach Smith was fired. The next day, Tuesday at Big Ten Media Days, Urban Meyer spoke to the media in Chicago. I happened to be there. That was a total coincidence, but I was there. He was asked about my report. He said he knew nothing about domestic violence issues with Zach Smith and even went as far to say, I don't know who would create a story like that. 
Well, I was sitting in the 20th row in the ballroom at the Chicago Marriott, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I would create a story like that because I've got a copy of the police report where he was arrested. And so then I was able to track down Courtney Smith. She, you know, I give her a lot of credit. She had a great deal of courage to confide in me and share everything with me. And after talking to her and seeing all the evidence, she had text messages between the wives of the assistant coaches, um, text messages from Urban's wife and Courtney and, and a lot of other police reports and photos and evidence and different things, basically came to the conclusion that Urban Meyer did indeed know about this. The university uh, determined they would have a investigation. They put him on, on leave, which was a big step. And then after the investigation, uh, it found out basically that what I reported was accurate. Urban Meyer was suspended for three games, and as you said, he retired at the end of this year. Um, I really think it never would have got to that point simply if Tuesday at Big Ten Media Days, if Urban Meyer simply would have, when asked about Zach Smith, because they had just fired him the day before, if he simply would have said, you know what, we, we handled this internally, there, we had heard some things, um, I don't want to get into the details, but we fired Zach, we're ready to move on, I would not have pursued pursued whether Urban knew about it or not, but because he was so defiant that he said he did not know who would create a story like this, all the information I had was that he knew. So then the main focal point of my reporting was not the domestic violence issues with Zach Smith and Courtney Smith, but then it became did Urban know or not, and so that's where I, I um, you know, focused my reporting. And then again, like you said, I, I reported that on Facebook, which was scary because <laughs> I did not have a, a group of editors looking at it. I had two close friends who worked at other media outlets who I sent the story to them and had them read. I said, tell me anything you see in here that's a red flag, a comma's in the wrong place, whatever. Um, because I had, I had no you know, backing like a large media company where you would have several editors look at it. Uh, so that was kind of scary. And I, I honestly never thought it would, it would blow up to what it did. You've dealt with social media now in your job as a journalist for more than a decade. Overall, has, this, has social media been a positive or a negative to the work of journalists like yourself? <laughs> uh, both. Uh, the positive is that it, it's almost like a, um, a tote board, if you will, for people in my business breaking news. Because if you post something on Twitter where this coach is fired or this person uh, you know, is taking another job or whatever, it's there for everyone can see. You either tweeted it before another reporter or you didn't. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry to see who had it first. So that's, I think, a positive. A negative is is because social media, I mean, everybody's on social media. So I think sports fans, a lot of sports fans, just see something on Twitter and they kind of group Joe Fan in with journalists. And so if Joe Fan says, gives an opinion that this coach is gonna be fired or whatever, they actually think it's a real reporter sometimes. And I think that hurts the credibility of all reporters because they kind of group and well, this person said this was going to happen and it never happened, but then they never take the time to see if this person's an actual reporter or if it's just a fan or whatever. And so I think, I think that's probably a negative. Um, 
another negative is, you know, a positive and negative, you get instant feedback from all these people. Um, you know, the majority of it is negative, unfortunately. Um, you know, the, the best thing, best invention for Twitter is the mute button because <laughs> you, can, you can mute people. And so if I, if I mute you on Twitter, what, you can send me a hundred tweets and I will not see it on my timeline. And your next question may be, why don't you just block somebody? Well, when you block somebody, then they know that you've been blocked. And a lot of people, that's like a badge of honor. Oh, well, I got under their skin so much, so they blocked me. So now you just kind of mute them, so you never see it. And what really makes people mad when they're trying to get at you like that is if you ignore them. Just ignore them. We'll mention at this point that uh, Brett has more than 204,000 followers on Twitter. And just for comparison, yours truly has 46. So there you go. <laughs> When I guess I, I guess faculty I is at, not that popular. When I was at the Tampa Tribune in 2009, I had 3,000. So there's you still got a shot. <laughs> Tell us about uh, your new job with Stadium Sports. This is a an operation operated, I believe, by Sinclair Broadcasting, yes. and it is both digital television and the internet. For people not familiar with Stadium, tell us about the operation. Yeah, it's it's basically a digital sports network um, based out of sh Chicago. We have offices actually in the United Center. Our studio is literally 10 feet away from the iconic Michael Jordan statue, and it's basically a sports network for cord cutters. Um, you can you can get it online. Um, you can get it over the air. Um, it's basically an option for people that don't want to pay for cable to be able to get you know, up-to-date sports news. We have live, uh, do live college football, college basketball games. Um, you know, Jeff, I cover college football. Jeff Goodman, who I worked with at ESPN, he covers college basketball. Uh, we also cover the NBA, Major League Baseball, cover everything. Let's backtrack a little bit. Where did you grow up? But I grew up in Oklahoma City, um, went to Yukon High School, went to Oklahoma State, and then after Oklahoma State, I got a job in Odessa, Texas. Um, if you guys are familiar with Friday Night Lights, mm -hmm. the book, the movie, uh, the Broadway play maybe one day. Um, I covered that high school, Permian High School, and then Buzz Bissinger, who did the Friday Night Lights book, came in the year after I left Odessa and wrote about those guys. So I actually covered those guys that were in the original book when they were sophomores. When, do you remember a time when you thought, hey, I'd like to cover sports? When was that first thought about this is what I'd like to do for Well, growing, growing up, I played sports year-round. Whatever season it was, that's what I did. Football, basketball, baseball, track, uh, you name it. That's, that was my whole life um, from when I was six years old and to all the way through high school. That's what I did. When I got to high school, um, to be honest, I took journalism because all the cool kids <laughs> took it and I'm like, hey, you know, or if the cute girl, I'm like, oh, wow, she's in there. I think I'll take it. So I took journalism. And then obviously I had an interest in reporting about sports because of my love for sports. So I did that. Uh, my journalism teacher, my senior year, made me sit down and fill out a scholarship application for Oklahoma State. And I told her, no, I can't do that. I'm too busy. I'm going to be late to class. And she's like, no, I've told your teacher you're going to be late sit down and fill it out. At that point, I was going, I had a, I think I had a partial scholarship or a walk-on opportunity, something, to go to East Central University and play football. Uh, as you can see by my size, I, I was fast, but I would have got crushed. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I had no plans to go to Oklahoma State. I filled out the application. I ended up getting a scholarship to come to Oklahoma State and work in the uh, school sports information office as a student assistant. So they were paying the bills. I did that. And then while I did that, I also worked at the Ocali um, for five years. And that's and it stuck. I knew my athletic career was over in high school, so I was fortunate to, to get to Oklahoma State and, and get involved in journalism. Now, you were here in the early, mid-80s? 80 to 85. Tell us about a couple of the personalities that you maybe covered as a student reporter that still stand out to you. Well, uh, Bill Self played at Oklahoma State back then, and actually I knew him um, from high school because UConn High School beat Edmond High School for the state basketball championship when I was at UConn and Bill was at Edmond. Um, right after, or Thurman Thomas was here, football. Barry Sanders got here right after I left. Uh, Jim Traber uh, played baseball. Uh, Pete Incavilia, Robin Ventura. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was the football coach. Uh, probably had one of the best coaching staffs of all time with Dave Wanstatt and Butch Davis and all these guys that went on to coach the NFL. Um, but yeah, it was, it was funny. And then um, probably the most famous Oklahoma State the alum was actually a guy that I grew up with in UConn since fourth grade. And that was Garth Brooks. <laughs> we were the same age. We played intramural football together. Uh, you know, he would go down and sing at Wet Willies, and I, I think he's done okay for himself. I, I think so. We're talking with Brett McMurphy here on this Inside OSU podcast. I'm John McGuire, and let's uh, turn now to your specialty, college football. Let's tap into some of the knowledge you have, even if we're still five months away from the fall kickoff. Let's start with this. Should we just go ahead and pencil in that it's Clemson and Alabama for the title game in New Orleans and just skip the regular season? You know what? I, I agree on Clemson, but I am maybe one of the few people. I actually think Georgia is going to get there this year. They have a ton of returnees back on defense. Um, they obviously are, are set at quarterback. And I just think the fact that Mentally, they know that they can beat Alabama. Yes, they haven't beat Alabama, but they should have beat them in the national title game two years ago. They had them in the, on the ropes in the SEC title game last year and couldn't do it. I think this year they finally break through because I think Alabama regresses slightly because Saban has to replace six full-time assistant coaches. And in the past two years, he has had to replace 13 full-time assistants, and for the, I believe it's the third consecutive year, he will have to replace his offensive and defensive coordinator. I, I'm not, look, I'm not saying they're going to go se seven and five, but mm. I just think um, there will be a little slippage there. I think Georgia takes advantage of that, but I do think, you know, it's hard not to project Alabama in the playoff, but right now I'm going with Clemson and Georgia in the championship game, and I've got Clemson winning it. You look at the overall picture uh, it, with the projected point spreads are out. I think there's five teams that are projected to be favored in every regular season game going into 2019. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, surprisingly out of the Big Ten, they're projected to be favored over Ohio State. Um, Washington in the Pac-12, and then a non-power school, Memphis, is projected to be favored in every game. So obviously, there's always a ton of upsets, but going into the season, the, those six teams at least are favored to all go 12-0. and 0. 
We've had a relatively stable period of teams not switching conferences, but we have a number of TV contracts like the Big 12 coming up for renewal in a few years. Are we about to see another round of musical chairs as far as teams switching conferences? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way I always I explain it is we just finished year five of the college football playoff. It's a 12-year contract. I think once we get towards year 11 or year 12 of that contract, which I think is 2025, 2026, and like you mentioned, there's a number of power conferences whose media rights deals are up about that same time. If we're going to see one more merry-go-round, if you will, or musical chairs of conference realignment, that's when we're going to see it. And then whatever happens when the dust is cleared, that's it. I think that'll be the final realignment. Whether that means we have four 16-team conferences or we have five 16-team conferences or we have some kind of mixture of that, those teams leave, create their own division within the NCAA. Those teams leave the NCAA, create their own model, whatever. I think that's when it's going to happen. But you're right, when these media rights deals ends, which coincides with the 12-year contract of the college football playoff, I think that'll be the final one. So obviously Oklahoma State is in great position being a member of the Big 12 Conference. I think the Big 12 is very stable. Um, but if you're a fan of schools that are not in a power league, if you don't get into a power league in this next go-around, then you may as well go back to the FCS level. I really believe that because the gap between the power leagues and the non-power leagues grows every single minute, every single day, and you, those leagues simply cannot compete with the power five leagues. What other issues do you see really on the horizon for college football as a sport in the next five years? Well, college athletics and all, it's just the, the endless debate. Um, there's multiple lawsuits that have been filed about players being able to be compensated, um, whether it's to make money off their own likeness, whether it's jersey sales, whether it's flat out paying student athletes, whatever it is, this thing is not going to go away. And I think what you've seen recently with the NCAA with the number of high profile players that have transferred schools and are given immediate eligibility at, these, at their new schools, you used to have to sit out a year. Um, you, technically, you still do. You have to go through an appeal process. But I think right now the NCAA's mindset is we're going to do everything in the world we can to accommodate the student athlete, let them transfer, make them eligible right away. We're going to do everything we can except compensate them financially. And until they have to do that, um, I think they'll continue to do everything they can. But I think we're going to get to some point where there's so many lawsuits that have been filed in um, pending lawsuits coming down the pike that eventually something has to change. I don't have the answer. There's not an easy answer. I don't think anybody has that answer because if you're going to pay the football players, do you also pay the cross-country runners? Do you also play the volleyball players? I mean, how do you... I mean, there's a million... You know, we do a seven-hour podcast and we couldn't even get through it all, but that's the biggest question is how do you... How do you do this? Title IX is a big question mark. So I think that's going to be the biggest issue, not only for the next couple of years, but probably for the next 20 years. We're just about out of time, so let me finish with this. If you had the ear of all future sports journalists just for a few minutes, based on your 30-plus years in the business, what would you tell them about the future of sports journalism? 
Well, one, if, if you want to do it, you have to love to do it. You don't do this if you think you're going to make money because it, you're not. Uh, um, you know, there are a few people that have, have made, you know, a lot of, a lot of big money, but you do not get into this unless you love doing it. You have to be passionate about it. And if, if you, you know, if you're in college now or even if you're in high school and you, this is something you want to do, go to your local newspaper, go to your local TV station, go to your local radio station and just walk in the door and ask to speak to somebody and say you want to volunteer, you want to help out. You, you want to do anything you can and go there every day and help out and do something. Maybe they're not going to put you on the air. Maybe you can go with a camera crew to stories. Maybe you can help write copy. There's a million different things you can do, but you know what's going to happen? You're going to meet people that can help you down the road. You're going to develop relationships. And then, oh, by the way, when you're there at this, at this um, you know, media outlet and somebody calls in sick or somebody's late to work or somebody can't get there and something breaks and you're there and they're like, hey, we need you. Come help us do this. Then you can prove your worth to those people. But do as many different things as you can. It's funny, when I was at Oklahoma State, you had to pick either to be a print journalist or a broadcast journalist. You couldn't do both. Now you have to do both. Do as many different things as you can. And whatever you do, try to find something that somebody else is not doing or find something you think you can do better. And look, I'm a perfect example. I broke the biggest college football story last year on Facebook. And it proves that if you've got good information, if you've got relevant information, people are going to find you and come to you. Um, and, you know, I can't stress that enough. You don't have to be at a big media company to have a big impact. Britt, it's been great to share a microphone with you today. All the best as you get ready for another college football season. Thank you. That's Brett McMurphy of Stadium Sports. I'm John McGuire. Thanks for joining us for this Inside OSU podcast.